From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Goal Own Goal. Joining me, as always, my main man, Roger Mitchell. Hi, mate. How are you doing? I'm good. This obviously is the, the first episode of 2023. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And happy, happy, New, Year. happy New Year to everybody listening. Thanks for sticking with us. It's been yes. uh, it's been quite the start to the year already. Um, well, there's, there's, no, there's never nothing to talk about, Roger. There's never nothing to talk about. And, I, and I, I'm going to kick That's things right. off this week. <laughs> <laughs> no, but before we do, but before we do, um, how much time have you got tonight? How much time? Because <laughs> there is a lot to talk about. Yeah, I know. Well, are you? T- we'll just keep talking. Well, listen, not. Well, the the thing I wanted to say before, you know, before is that you know, over Christmas you catch up on your on your content and the podcasts and the videos and everything like that. Um, I have to say, Grant, you know what you are what you are putting out and what you've put out in the last three, four, five months has been truly astounding and i'm not saying that because i'm your mate um you know how much i'm paranoid about content and that if it's different from everything else that's out there and uh, you know unless it's something different why bother you 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 operate in a world where there's a lot of stuff out there in the financial world a lot of stuff a lot of good stuff but I have to say, the last three or four months, both in terms of the calls you've made and the guests you've had on, just unbelievable, Grant. Really, really top-notch. Top-notch. Well, well, that, that's very kind of you, Rog. I, uh, I appreciate that. I'm not quite sure what to do with that information. Um, I, will, I will try and... It's a good job the video's not on, so you can't see me blushing. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that, mate. Thank you. It's, it's, been, it's been great fun. I've had a, an awful lot of great conversations with some really, really fabulous people and so that you know for me it's always just a thrill to get a chance to talk to these people and uh pick their brains and i've um i've learned an awful lot over these last few months that's for sure and hopefully it's going to either come in helpful or save me next year well i, I know you hate this stuff and you're super modest and everything like that but it's worth talking about because it is relative a wee bit to our sports sector you know what i can't understand right knowing what you do what you've built as a business and as a, a media hub, whatever you want to call it, um, it's so far ahead of what I would call the main mastheads. And I'm talking about the FT, the Journal, New York Times, The Economist. I don't understand. If I was in one of those their shoes, I would come to you and I would say to you, how much do you want? H- how much do you want? Uh, you, you, you will buy your company and we'll make you head of this, head of that. Um they, I'm telling you, you don't realise this, but they desperately need what you're doing, Grant. And and um, it's similar to so many things that, you know, is going on in the sports industry and people thinking about buying this and buying that and everything. Sometimes strategically, when you see a product that is just going to do something different for your whole brand, you just got to buy it, regardless of the value. I would just come and say, how much do you want, mate? Well, see, the problem is, Roy, it's very kind of you to say again. It's, a, it's very kind of you. But um, uh, the reason is it's not for sale. <laughs> that's, that's the problem, right? There, there's the, the, and, and within that lies the answer to the question because, you know, I could have gone the way of sponsorship. Um, and a lot of people, uh, when, when I launched my platform, criticised me for not going down the sponsorship road. But with sponsorship comes editorial, let's call it editorial responsibility. Uh, even if there's no overt massaging of what you can write about, you you have other stakeholders that you need to be sensitive to. And, um, you know, my, my a perfect example is my buddy Mark Cahodes in, in recent weeks when uh, he called the SBF downfall and FTX, and Mark was way ahead of that in his typical pugnacious bulldog way. He went to Bloomberg, it emerges, um, and he and I had spoken about this months ago. He told me the story. Yeah, you did. But it's emerged recently, you know, it's kind of got out into the wider world that he went to Bloomberg before with this story 
and, um, you know, gave them this on a plate. And when asked, when he asked them why they wouldn't go and speak to him and why they wouldn't confront him and not get these questions answered, they said, because we won't get access to him anymore. He won't, he won't come on and we won't be able to kind of showcase him and get the, the views associated SPF. with what was the biggest name in, in crypto at the time. So, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's funny, Roger, you, know, you, you can't, unless you are truly independent, um, it's very difficult to, to do anything content-wise that isn't, and I use the word corrupted with a small c, by outside interests, you know. It, it, you, what you need is the ability to write um, pieces and produce podcasts or produce videos that, that you care about and you're interested in, and, that, and that's it. No other influence outside it, but I think this will be an interesting subject to write about. I think this will be an interesting subject to talk about. This will be an interesting person to whose story I can tell. Um, and then you you hope that other people feel similarly and you can find enough of them out there to make the business viable. And, and that's really it. And if you change that, if you change any part of that, you know, if you start, every time I sit down to write, if I sat down and thought, okay, what, what does the audience want me to say? I'm dead in the water. I'm absolutely dead in the water because it's not authentic. It's it's you, know, you have to you have to give up the focus on the size of the audience, which is everybody's main predilection these days. It's like, okay, how big is my audience? You have to give that up and be humble and say, look, I'm I'm going to write, and my audience is my audience. And if it's you know five mates of mine, some guy I met on Clapham Common and his dog, then that's it. Then you've got the choice to make is, okay, do I want to keep doing this for those guys? Do I enjoy the process enough and what I'm learning from it to keep doing it for my five mates, the guy and his dog, or not? And if you if you decide that you don't, then you have to say to yourself, well, the only thing I can do then is change what I write, change the way I write, change the way I interview people, change the content I produce to an audience that I believe is out there waiting for it. And if you do that, you you'll spend the rest of your life in purgatory because you're trying to create content for somebody else. And that's, um, that's nowhere to be, Roger. And you, you know that as well as I do from these conversations, right? We've, we've never, ever set out to do that. We've always set out, you, me, and Gilo, to have honest conversations about sport, about the business for sport and the way we feel about it. And we've tried to have guests on and ask them straight-up questions. We, 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 you know, we never give them questions in advance. We never give them softball questions. We never um, try and tell a story that's favourable to them. We just try and talk to them. And I, and I think while the audience for that isn't as big as the audience that is naturally attracted to clickbait headlines and all the things that we know sadly work in today's age, it's a, it's a very loyal audience. It's a very sticky audience. And it's an audience that isn't being served elsewhere. And so they appreciate the effort you put it in and you know that that to me is what it's all about it's not about how many people listen to you but it's about how much those who do appreciate you so you know i don't think the ft or any of those guys are in a position to, to do anything like that right so they uh, you know it's just it's just not the world they operate in they're, they're they're run by big companies who rely on advertising revenue and if you want to get the advertising revenue you have to have a certain editorial slant and uh, you know, follow the dominoes from there. So that's the reality of it, unfortunately, which is why it's such a pleasure to be able to have these conversations with you. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, you know, there's, there's something there that I'm sure many of our audience will have picked up on, um, which is the, 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 the absolutely Faustian pact that mainstream media finds itself in. You know, you mentioned in the last bit there that the business model and making sure advertisers are, are not annoyed but more importantly, and this is very true for sports media, what you talked about with uh, Cohodes and Bloomberg is the fact that many journalists um, will trade almost anything and certainly the truth for continued access. Yeah. Uh, when, well, most people don't realise that, Grant, and I can even t remember my, my, my father uh, when he read stuff about me in the paper and uh, I said, that's not true, Dad. And he said, but it's in the paper. Um, yeah, most right. people read, yeah, most, most people read the, the media thinking it's some version of a truth when in, in the main it is a transaction. It is an exchange of access for a PR slant. And um, 
is very depressing sometimes, especially when the people that are involved in it, and I won't use the term London-centric because it goes beyond London, but especially there, uh, they go on their high horse and they get awful moralistic and they forget that they are in the game of sweeties for access. You make me look good, I will continue to take your call. And it's sad, Grant. It's it's very sad. Look, it is, Rog, but it's 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 the world that we've built around ourselves. Now, I I I don't think for a moment the pendulum won't go back the other way. I'm pretty sure it will when people get more and more pissed off about it. And you know, you're you're at the leading edge of that, as am I. But it takes it takes more people than that to get that pendulum to swing. But but it will because I think I think that the content of mainstream media now is is such that they are losing that sticky audience and they are ending up, you know, everything's turning into the Daily Mail. You only have to look at the coverage of this ridiculous Prince Harry book this week um, to realise what's happening to journalism, right? I mean, a, a, a Spanish copy of this ridiculous book gets leaked and every broadsheet in the UK, not just the tabloids, feels that they have to give this thing wall-to-wall coverage every day because if they don't, other people are going to, you know, get the get the readers because people people don't want to read serious headlines. They want to read about, you know, what's upset poor Prince Harry this week. And, you know, unfortunately, that's that's just the way it goes. But but you, at the same time, Raj, people like me that read this stuff just say, okay, enough. I'm going to stop reading that. And the reality is, the people who the Guardian and the Telegraph and the Times have borrowed temporarily from the Daily Mail by printing these headlines, uh, when they get back to real news, they'll find that those people don't buy the newspaper anymore. And that's that's just the way, you know, when you call it a Faustian pact, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what it is. And with any pact, there comes a, there comes a time when payment is due, and uh, I don't know when that will be, but um, that day is drawing ever closer, I suspect. Well, I did talking about Prince Harry. I did tell you the last time we spoke that that was a big, that was a big story and was about to get bigger. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And this 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 is this is world class world class beef, as the kids call it now. Um, but I'm going to link it. I'm going to start off our show. I'm going to link it to something similar. Uh, obviously, one of the big Prince Harry revelations is that William, you know, put him down. Uh, in Glasgow parlance, put them down. Well, put hang them hang, hang on, or, or, or let me paraphrase this: Two brothers have fight. <laughs> yeah, I know. Film at eleven. I mean, <laughs> is this news? <laughs> well, well, oh, it Jesus is. In the, it's everything's context, Grant. It is when you know she comes into the royal family, and the story is that she's not been welcomed, and how black is the baby going to look like? In that in that context, it's slightly more than two brothers having a pop about whether they like Harry Maguire or not. It's different, Grant. I mean, it is. It is a wee bit different. But anyway, let's leave Harry aside. I want to link it to other... Um, other. Well, you better believe I'm coming back to him. <laughs> oh, all right, okay, we can come back to him. But I want to link it to Dana White. Um, uh, uh, Dana White, the head of the UFC. Uh, one, of the, one of the great success stories of the sports industry in the last uh, five to ten years, without a doubt. Um, you're familiar with Dana White, a, a rather pugnacious character, not someday you would want to get on I it. am familiar with him. Right, right. Um, so he's made a big thing. Uh, uh, in the extreme violence of his sport, and we are talking extreme violence here, he's always said the one thing that was off, off bounds was one of his fighters laying a finger on one of their wives. And, and guess what? Guess what? <laughs> Dana White, Dana White is on film in a restaurant, not two slaps his wife's face publicly. Unbelievable, and it's the story of the week in Italian in a American sport. Roger, I, I I I didn't see that, but look, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the, the shock I should feel about a UFC wrestler slapping somebody, even if it is his wife. Again, you know, my problem with all this stuff is. It's it's just so inconsequential to me, unfortunately, and I don't mean that in a bad way. That I, I don't care that this guy slaps his wife because obviously that, that's just abhorrent. But the fact that these people have audiences and followings and news, it, it just 
it just blows my mind, Roger. And, it, and it, the, the fact that people care about what someone like Dana White does just uh, oh, he, you know, he's you, one you of, understand it a lot better than well, I do. He's no, one, I, he's I, one I of the major is, guys I, in uh, owning the UFC. I, I know. I, I know. I mean, that, like, I, mean, know, uh, I know. I mean, so it's not some can some fighter, you know. Like, uh, here's the, the the article thing here. Video of the incident published by TMZ, of course, showed White leaning leaning down to say something to his wife. She responded by slapping him in the face. Uh, and he retaliated, slapping her twice. The two were quickly separated. Quotes, my wife and I were out for New Year's Eve. It's like, you know, a romantic <laughs> a romantic evening. And unfortunately, that's what's happened. He said, I'm one of the guys. You've heard me say it for years. There's never, ever an excuse for a guy to put his hands on a woman. But now here I'm on TMZ talking about it. You just couldn't make it up, Grant. You couldn't make it up. No, you, you can't. But look, the simple the simple truth is, it it's a domestic battery case, Rog. And she should press charges, and he should take whatever punishments coming to him. And I shouldn't even know about it, right? I, I just I, I'm just I, I'm just fascinated how 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 interested everybody is in all this stuff. And of course, the answer is simple: they're interested in it because they're being fed it by the same media that <laughs> that know that this is what's going to get clicks. And it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because if this stuff wasn't in the media, it wouldn't get clicks. So they serve all this stuff up to an audience that gets hooked on it and and you know that, okay, the next, the next shot we can get of an NFL player slapping his wife in a lift, let's push that all over the news and, and let's pretend that what we're doing is making an example of them and... and you know, shaming them and everything else. But really what we're doing is we know it's going to get a load of clicks and clicks means advertising revenue. It's just, I, you know, Rog, call me cynical um, and I will, I will answer I th- I that think, I think you, I think, I think, I think you are cynical in this, this case because, you know, Dana White, UFC, uh, Vince McMahon, uh, WWE, they are two of the most important people in, in, in American sport. Uh, they set out their stall with certain standards and you know, uh, both of them, both of those are right. But but, Roger, do you believe those? St- do you, oh, hang on, when you hear Dana White and and uh, Vince McMahon and everything you know about them <laughs> to be true from all the other stories, when they set these standards out, are you sitting there honestly going, "Well, there's a fine, upstanding no, man who would never no, touch I'm not." But, do you honestly no, believe I'm, that? I'm, of course you not. Know, but my game for for what it, what it's worth is trying to make a prediction about what happens in certain things in sport. And, you know, UFC, no, no, UFC is that. under challenge, right? Um, Jake Paul, I think it's called the Professional Boxing League. He's called out UFC for not paying the fighters. There's a lot of beef between the two. Um, and, you know, Dana's now weak. You know, Dana's taken a couple of hits. And um, that's an organization, the UFC, when its main guy is shown up like that, I think it's got, I think it's got weakness. I think it can be attacked. And I will watch that with interest. That's the reason I couldn't care less. There's there's so much violence around these days. I mean, I'll give you another one. You know, um, the 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 Reina um, USA football team thing. Did you did you hear yeah, that story? Yeah, with Halter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, my son's not playing. By the way, Claudio Reina's a Rangers player, an ex Rangers player. So look, DNA never lies, right? Um, so Claudio Reina, his boys in the team, <laughs> his boys in the team, uh, or not in this case, uh, him and uh, the coach, uh, Berl Halter, whatever his name is, they're old mates. Doesn't matter. It's like you, you and me are old mates. All of a sudden, you're coaching the American football team. Uh, my boys in the squad, you're not playing them. So I'm going to leak a fact that you and your wife had a fight 20 years ago and you kicked her. I mean, like, what is going on, Grant? Who does that? Who does that? Well, to, Roger, Roger to, to my point, right, to my point, they're doing that because they know it's going to get coverage. You know, at the end of the day, it's a matter between the two of them and reading Burhalter's response to it and his wife's, they dealt with it incredibly maturely and, you know, he realised what he'd done was wrong and he spoke to her parents about it and they, they spoke to each other about it and they went to counselling and blah, 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 blah. He's basically done everything in advance that the media would come out and try and force upon him in the world we live in. So, oh, he should be taking counselling and he should apologise. He's done it all. He's basically handled 
the aftermath of what looks and seems it like fine. Uh, I agree with that. I'm a, talking a about momentary <laughs> loss of control. He's handled it I perfectly. Agree. But what's going through... exactly what he should have done? So what's the story? The story is Claudio Reyna. What the hell is he thinking? I mean, like, what's he thinking? This is his mate. He's, he's bought... thinking what I just said to you. He's thinking exactly what I just said to you. That if I if I leak the story, it's going to get a load of attention. It's going to, you know, people are going to be clicking up. People are going to suddenly start thinking, bear health is this, bear health is that. I mean, just, who cares? Who cares? I, I just, <laughs> I just don't understand people who waste five minutes of their life reading an article about a fight between two people that happened 30 years ago that they settled at the time and have acted impeccably. I, I just don't get it, Ross. Well, I never well, will. Well, the, the, again, context, Grant. We, we are talking about, and we will talk about in the rest of the show, a lot of examples of the utter nonsense and madness uh, that goes on in the sports sector. Uh, and I'm giving you examples as somebody that, that saw it from the inside for a while, that this shit goes on. I mean, I don't know what it, no, sure, I don't, I don't sure. know what it is, but like, it's madness. It's madness that you're a mate with a guy for many years. He doesn't pick your boy. And all of a sudden you're running to the paper and you're, you're, you're calling out the most embarrassing incident this guy's had. I mean, like. Well, and the, and the story has become Rainer versus Bearhalter. It's, it, it, it's, at least we can thank our lucky stars that the story has gone the right way and the focus has not been on what Berhalter did, it's been on Rainer's behaviour and why he would do it, right? Because it's obvious, whichever way you look at this, Berhalter did something wrong and he atoned for it. And so the story has become exactly as you're describing now. Why would Rainer do this, their mates, blah, blah, blah. Let's, have, let's, let's find out what the beef is, to use your word, um, and let's play that up. And the beef isn't between Bearhalter and his wife; it's between Rainer and. Bearhalter. But look, look. Let, let's take this back, Rog, to um, to the to the William and Harry thing. Because as I read an yeah. article which I actually shared with you and Giles earlier this week, which just, I mean, it, 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 I, I honestly didn't know where to laugh or cry. How pathetic this article was. Um, but this was, I think, one of the first revelations about about the fight we were talking about between William and Harry, right? And, and I. I apologise to everybody listening Don't when we're apologize. giving this their time, but there is an amusing story <laughs> at the end of it. Um, I, I, I've got this article, Guardian article I'll share with you here, and it says, uh, the confrontation escalated, Harry writes, until William grabbed me by the collar, ripping my necklace and knocked me to the floor. Now, this is a, a guy who's a veteran of the Afghanistan war, who flew attack helicopters Two in the, the Afghanistan war, right? right? Two tours, right? And he's having an argument with his brother who's grabbed him by the collar and torn his necklace, right? I mean, <laughs> God forbid what the... Maybe the Taliban would have, you know, stolen one of his bracelets had they got hold of him out of the helicopter. But you, you, you go down this story, right? And it says... Uh, uh, where are we? Insults that were changed before William claimed he was trying to help. Harry said... Now, now you have to remember this, and I think this is really important... All of this is Harry's words. Harry's telling you what happened in this argument, right? And I'm going to come to why this relates to sport in a minute. Um, but he knows that there is absolutely no way William is going to come out and put his side to the public, right? So whatever he says is the only account of this argument that's going to be in public, right? Insults were exchanged before William claimed he was trying to help. Harry said, are you serious? Help me. Sorry, is that what you call this? Helping me? That comment, Harry says, angered his brother, who swore while stepping towards him. Now scared, Harry writes, he went to the kitchen, his furious brother following. Now here's the bit. Harry writes that he gave his brother a glass of water and said, and I quote, Willie, I can't speak to you when you're like this. Now, I remember, Roger, and you'll remember this as well as I did. Do you remember back in, it would have been the late 80s, early 90s, maybe mid-90s, when... Cantona was at Crystal Palace and got the oh, red yeah. card, the famous red Into card at Crystal Palace. Into the crowd with a kung fu kick. Now, I remember this <laughs> like it was yesterday. And I remember, I don't remember the second name, but I remember the first name of the guy that he kicked was Matthew something or other, right? <laughs> and when you watch the footage back, as Cantona, I don't know if you remember, he gets sent off and he actually goes off behind the goal and he walks behind the goal, right? Yeah. For some reason, it doesn't go off at halfway. He walks by, I think because it was at Sellers Park, 
the they come out on the corner. So he's gone off behind the goal at the Palace end, and he's walking along in front of the Palace fans. They're all shouting him. And this Matthew guy, <laughs> you see him in the footage running down about eight rows, pushing people aside to get to the front, giving V signs as hard as he can, making the old Gareth Hunt coffee grinding hand <laughs> signal as much as he can. And you can read his lips so clearly and he shouts, fuck off, you French. Right? And it's, it's because he's putting so much into it, the lip reading is easy, right? You can see, he's not mumbling it, he's screaming this, right? And then Cantona dives into the crowd, both feet, kicks him and all hell looks loose, right? I will never forget this. On the Monday, oh, sorry, that was on a, it was a midweek game. So the next morning or two mornings later, the son have found this guy and they got an interview with him, right? Of course they have. And <laughs> 20 as, people and hunting Rog, him down. Rog, as, as God is my witness and with Willie, I can't speak to you when you're like this, fresh in your mind, <laughs> they asked the guy what happened and he said... He ran down, and what he said to Cantona was, off you go, Cantona, it's an early bath for you. <laughs> that was what he claimed to have said to Cantona. And he said, I, I, don't know, I don't know what upset him. I said, off you go, Cantona, it's an early bath for you. I mean, it's just I love, it's I love this. I, I, love, I love this. Stuff. This is where you and me are different. This is what I live for, this kind of stuff. <laughs> no, come on. Off you go, Cantona. It's an early bath for you. Now, if it had been 1936, I can imagine how he might have said that. But, but I mean, honestly, it, it's, just, it's just such utter... No, I thought that was funny, and I remember it 30 years later as to how ridiculous it was, Rog. Yeah, yeah. But this beef, this whole beef thing, I get what you're talking about. I understand, and, I, and you're it's right. It's the context. Uh, these are big stories in the context. But, it's not just yeah, two Yeah, it's just... It's just, it's just pathetic. The whole thing. I just can't deal with it all on the front. <laughs> well, listen, let's let's change gear a little bit. Um, my wife won't like this because she doesn't like me to do the whole nostalgia stuff. She always says I need to keep looking forward and not looking back. But we need to look back to um, General Cavialli. Tell her I said hi, won't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Rafa. If you're listening, um, Viali. You know. Um, oh yeah. Okay. You know, uh, that's worth looking back. I, I think it is because, you know, um, nostalgia is important everywhere. But, you know, when it's exactly somebody your age, you know, 58, my age, and he represented a lot of things that were quite important uh, when I was growing up and when I was covering Italian football. Um, it, it was such a, an incredible, I mean, here, here's my take on it, Grant, right? Um you know, I've, these things affect everybody in a different way. Um, General Cavialli, many people might not know, but, you know, he's one of those footballers that when he appeared as a young man, he spoke beautifully. In fact, when they, they were parodying him, they, they put him in a kind of like teacher's pet outfit and, and they made him speak with a, a kid's voice and he spoke with perfect grammar and punctuation because he was, he was perfect, you know? And, you know, he... He was, you know, good looking. He was full of energy. But but the, the, the most important thing, and, and I think everybody listening to this will recognise this, when Italian football hit the British screens with Channel 4, the very first game was Sampdoria-Lazio. And if I'm not mistaken, it was a very high-scoring game. And everybody from that moment fell in love with Italian football. And they fell in love with those players of, of, of that generation. And, and, you know, the fact that Sampdoria, a very small team, not even the, the biggest team in Genoa, which is Genoa itself, won that Serie A championship when you had Maradona's Napoli, you had Saki's Milan, you had Inter uh, of the records, you had uh, Juventus, you had Lazio, you had Parma. This team that was put together with, with a local guy, uh, that was represented by the terrible twins, they were called, uh, Viali Mancini. Um, they win that, and in those days, only the champions got into the European Cup. Yeah, They go into the European Cup the next year, they get to the final in Wembley, in Wembley, at, That's right. and they lose to, I think it's the Koeman free kick, at Barcelona. Barcelona, yeah. yeah. And there's the tears of the two of them in the centre, 
Because they know, because you, it's not as if you get into the Champions League every year like you do now. Uh, they, they knew that was it. That was their, their, their one shot. And, you know, there was the tears of, of, of tragedy. So when Wembley last year comes around and the, the image of the two of them hugging on that same turf uh, with mm-hmm. the, the Italian Euros, Ish. it, 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 it kind of like closed the circle. And, and you know, um, it's a very powerful thing that that image in itself is very powerful. But the thing that I really noticed was the, the reaction of Graham Souness. Now, younger people have got a different image of Graham Souness. He's become this kind of like boomer caricature that's always on the back of the the Pogba's and the Dele Alli's and, you know, the, the brackets, uh, inverted commas, uh, uh, wasters in football. But then you see how he reacted to Vialli and, you know, like in tears. Like he, they played together and everything like that. And, and you know... Um, I'm just going to end, I'm going to end this little thing and I'd love to hear your view, but there was obviously a lot more in the Italian media because obviously, you know, he wasn't in England that long. An interview he did, you know, and he talks about um, that this interview, I've taken a couple of pieces out of it. You know, they ask him about, you know, how, he's, how he got involved in football and everything like he says. I, I, I was like every one of us of our generation. Um, I grew up um, in the parish and I played for the, the church team. Um, there was no PlayStation, there was not much TV. Um, we all kind of did the same things. And, you know, the thing with the priest was that, you know, that if we went along to the catechism lessons, they let us play football. And, and that's that's a culture that everybody in this country recognises, in Italy, recognises. He, you know, he goes on to say, obviously, you know, why did you stay at Sampdoria? Everybody wanted you. And he said, I, I believed in the project of the owner, Mantovani, uh, who said to me, look, uh, we're going to do something special here and you've got plenty of time to go to the big teams. And he said he believed in that. That's a, that's a football that's gone now, Grant. That's a football that's gone. Those, those, are, those are days that are gone. But here's something that, uh, two quotes I really loved. They ask him, well, eventually you did go to Juventus. What was that like? He says, um, it was an honour, but also an obligation. You feel the weight of that jersey, uh, the duty to give it back, beautifully folded, but put on a higher shelf than you took it from. Now, what a quote that is. Yeah, that's fabulous. That is fabulous. And then the last one, you know, uh, obviously these interviews are all the same. Who is the, the, the best player you played with? He says, I was a, a lucky striker. I ran for Mancini, Zola, Baggio, Del Piero. I ran for them, you know? Yeah. And, and for that, for me, is, is Viali. He was, he, was, um, he was a generous guy. He wasn't selfish like most forwards are. He spoke beautifully. He was cultured. Everybody loved him. And um, uh, it's just awful, awful sad. Yeah, I mean, and Roger's funny, you know, it's, it, it echoes um, another Sampdoria player, exiled Ray Wilkins, you know, another guy who played in those Sampdoria teams in the 80s and, and another guy for whom nobody had a bad word of any kind, whether it be player, colleagues and players in the same team as him or broadcasters or, or, or you. You know, I know you had, you had your dealings with him. And, yeah, he was and, lovely. Um, you know, these, these, these guys come along, right, and they, and they come along. But, but the, I think the thing that the common thread that unites them, Rog, is this understanding that the game is that much bigger than them. And it's very difficult. You know, I, I look at someone like Jordan Henderson today and I see those same traits. I see a man who's, you know, at a club – um, and playing for the country. And you can tell that the football is what's important to him and the club is what's important to him and, and how he represents himself is important to him, you know. And and you, you don't see many of those anymore because it's become big business. It's become huge money. And this idea that you've got time to play for smaller teams before you go and play for the bigger teams, that's gone. That's so sad. Right, that's that's gone. the main I mean, point. That is so it, sad. It is. I, I agree with you. You know, the, the, the closest one I, I guess you can think of currently would be Bellingham, who went from Birmingham City to, to Borussia Dortmund, which I'm in no way saying Dortmund is a small team, but he didn't go straight from Birmingham to Man United or Man City or Chelsea. He'll end up at one of those clubs for sure, Liverpool maybe. Um, but he did take that, take that, 
time to go and learn his craft on a smaller stage and, you know, to captain a team like Richard Dortmund at 19 tells you that, that, that there's a chance that we have another one of those players there coming through, Rog, who, who understands that the game is the game and, and whatever part you play and whatever impact you're fortunate enough to have on it is dwarfed by the history that's gone before you. And, you know, what 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 better way to illustrate that than, than you know, this goal on goal, which is the first time I've had a, talk, a chance to talk since Pele died, you know? There's someone who uh, played in a different era and you want to talk about nostalgia and looking back. Um, let's talk about Pele for a moment. You know, here's a guy who hasn't played professional football for, what, 40-odd years nearly, yep. I would imagine, yep. and has arguably had had a bigger impact on the world in those 40 years than he ever did while he played. Now, he was arguably the most famous human being on the planet at one point, but the impact he's managed to have on the game, and uh, I, I never met him, you may have done, I'm not sure, I've never asked you about that. No. But um, but everybody you read who who met him and everybody that spent time with him told the same story about, about um, you know, it's that, it's that old Maya Angelou quote. People never remember what you said. They'll remember how you made, you made them feel. And from from everything I've heard and read and seen, and, and there's, a, there's a great documentary on Netflix where Pelé is interviewed extensively, you can see that here is a very humble guy, blessed with a, a prodigious talent who once his playing days were over at, you know, the age of 31, I think, was when he stopped playing for Santos in Brazil. Um he played a few more years for the Cosmos, but uh, he was in his mid-30s when he, when he retired. For him to take that onto the world stage and do the amount of good from a humanitarian perspective he, he did was truly extraordinary, Roger. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, I'll leave that there because I think you know, I can't add to that. Uh, all I would say, uh, Grant, um, by the way, Wilkins was Milan. It's Trevor Francis that was Sampdoria. But oh, the, you're the, right. The I beg your pardon. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. The point's the same. Um, it's just the guy, this guy is somebody your age, uh, Viarli. And, you know, when I when I went to Italy in 86, uh, he was at the start of his career. And, and in some ways, you know, you you, you look over at the, the start at the other side of the, the stage, on the stage, and it kind of like mirrors a little bit. And when 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 is that kind of like quality of human? Um, it's it's just quite hard to take, you know. Um, and and it's been great to see so many people feel like that. Um, but but um, I guess it's going to happen more and more <laughs> as the years go on, Grant. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. Well, let, 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 let's let's change it a little bit and let's let's uh, let's talk about darts for a moment, which is not a sport we often get a chance to uh, to chat about in these goal and goal conversations. Now, I know you saw that yeah. wonderful, wonderful leg yeah. in the World Darts Championship. And now, for, for anybody that doesn't understand what, <laughs> what the big thing about darts is, now every year uh, at this time, around the Christmas, New Year holidays, they have the World Darts Championships um, uh, <laughs> in a glorified pub slash nightclub um, on the outskirts of London. Ali Pali. And, uh, yeah, it, it is... It, it, uh, it's it's impossible to describe. It is it's the craziest, most ridiculous alcohol fueled. Um, how do you describe that? How would you describe it, Rog? I can't even think of a right way. Well, to describe well it's it. just it's like the Hong Kong Sevens on steroids. Is the closest. Well, I can it's come just. To. I mean, and this is the the genius of Barry Hearn. He just took pub sports uh, with that atmosphere in a pub, which is you know maybe people have had a wee bit too much to drink. They're a little bit boisterous, you know. Uh, and he's just taking it on to the next level. So just think of this venue as a very, very big pub where everybody is three or four cocktails in. And, you know, they... Well, and they're all in fancy dress. <laughs> and they're all, I mean, it's, it's just, it's insane. And they're playing but, a game but, but that's the, very easy to understand, you know? You no, know, no, this is, this is very true. This is very true. But the, and, and look, every, every year it's... It's such a great spectator sport, and by that I mean the spectators of the sport a lot of the oh, time. Yeah. It's just hilarious to watch some of the some of the antics in the crowd. But this year we were blessed with um, a, a truly extraordinary leg of darts, where where both players 
we're on a nine dart finish. And for those of you who don't understand the rules of darts, <laughs> good luck with uh, this. You have to go from five. <laughs> you have to go from. Yeah, I'm going to give it a try. You have to go from five hundred and one down to zero. And you have to finish exactly on the number uh, with a double. Uh, and you have to finish yeah. with. Well, if you let me finish, Rog, let me finish. And you have to finish with a a double, which is the thin ring around the outside of the board. (laughs) Now, the the fewest number of darts it's possible to score 501 in is nine. And it's very, very rare that you'll see a nine, what's known as a nine dart finish. Um, it's It's like a 147 in snooker, only I would argue possibly even slightly more rare in terms of the number of times it's been televised. And this particular... uh leg we had both players uh, on for a nine dart finish the, the, in the, the final in off. the final as well in the in the final of the world darts championship um we had the, the guy who uh the guy who led off was it michael smith led off no michael smith uh, got the um got the he he got the nine darted in the i don't know the names i don't know the names the names are irrelevant i don't know the names well, I mean, they they are they are and they're not, I suppose. But uh, but so Michael Smith was was the eventual winner. He he was throwing second. So Michael Van Gerwen throws first. He throws uh, one hundred and eighty with his first three darts, which normally sends the crowd going wild. Up comes Michael Smith, who also throws one hundred and eighty. Crowd gets elevated to another level. Next, Van Gerwen comes up, throws another one hundred and eighty, which puts him on a nine-dart finish. The crowd is going bananas at this point, at which point Michael Smith throws his next three darts. He also gets 180. So there's 12 treble 20s in a row between the two of them, and they're both on a nine-dart finish. Van Gerwen gets up, hits the first two of his next one, and misses the nine-dart finish by, uh, you know, a, a millimetre. He's just outside the double, at which point Smith steps up and hits the nine-dart finish. The crowd goes ballistic, <laughs> absolutely ballistic. No one more so than the commentator Wayne Mardle, who, if you haven't seen this, we'll, we'll tweet it in the, in the Twitter feed. You, you have to watch it and listen to the commentary. It's, it's, it's beyond amazing because he's just so caught up in the moment. But, Roger, I have to say, as I watched it with a huge smile on my face, just loving every second of it, the, there was one massive, massive regret I had. And you know what that was? You weren't there. No, not that I wasn't there, no, no but that, that Sid Waddell wasn't there to commentate on it. <laughs> yeah. Because what I would have given to hear Sid Waddell's commentary on that is, well, uh, it's unfathomable. Well, the commentary, it's just, it, the commentary is important everywhere now. The, the, it's funny enough, Italy that doesn't know anything about darts um, was covering it and the three commentators in Italy did an amazing job. Some said even better than the, the British commentators just went over the top. But the the really interesting thing, and this is the power of, of sport, is that once again, for the second show in a row, we're mentioning inside the NBA with Shaq and, and Barkley. I don't know if you, whether you saw it. They made a big thing about this, just as you have now, Grant. And, they, you know, they explained it. And then they got a dartboard out with the faces of the four hosts of inside the NBA right. and they had to throw it, you know, they had to throw darts to try and hit the, whoever they want, you know, they made a gag out of everything like that. And, and it was just an excellent, you know, five, seven minutes of content. And, um, you know, I, I saw it because Eddie Hearn, uh, the owner of the tournament, you know, said outstanding, you know, cause like cha-ching, ching, cha-ching, ching. Here, come, yeah, yeah, here yeah. comes the American market. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, it was, it was, it was fantastic. Was I mean, they say that that World Darts Championship is always great fun, but that was uh, I've never seen anything like it. It was just amazing. Well, one last thing on this, a more serious point, because we do always have to keep it back. And um, darts, the history of the darts, the sport of darts is very interesting. It used to be a governing body called the BDO. Which BDO, that's right. Yeah, they don't exist. They don't exist anymore. Mister Hearn started a rival organization. And um, with his verve and charisma and his energy and his drive, took over a very sleepy, complacent, lazy, um, unimaginative BDO. And um, I would just say to everybody, anytime you're feeling comfortable in your jobs at a rights holder, governing body, just remember those three letters, B-D-O. Now, and... and just in case there's something in the Urban Dictionary that that stands for, we apologise for any sensitive viewers. I'm just covering all bases here, Roger. 
All right. What else have you got right. for me, mate? Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to come to your part of the world, uh, West London football, because I think you deserve it. You know, uh, I saw the league table the other day and it was you guys, Fulham. Well, did, did you think it was upside down? Well, there's something <laughs> wrong. Uh, there is a glitch in the matrix, <laughs> as one says. There's something wrong. Coming back to the old days when a Red Star Belgrade or a Sampdoria could do things. Now we have Diddy teams like Fulham and Brentford uh, at the top of the aye, 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 aye. Well, you know what I mean? It's not right, is it? It's not right. <laughs> but anyway, I'm, I'm giving you a compliment. So so um, you are ahead of Brentford and Chelsea is below both of you. So even in West London, you're top of the tree. So compliments for that. Um, Thank you. I, I would say a um, little segue into fantasy. Uh, this was a double game week for you guys. Uh, you probably don't realise that, but you had two games in, in, in the game week of fantasy football. And um, a lot of the people went for Mitrovic because they had the double game. And my my lad, um, he says, um, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I said, look, do it, do it, do it. He says, no, he's on a yellow and he's a hothead. He's going to get booked in the first game and he won't play the second game. Bingo. <laughs> And I said to him, that's pretty impressive. The day after, he decided not to captain Haaland. Everybody in the world captains Haaland. Now his effective ownership's about 200%. And, and I said, Ruka, this is a mistake. This is a mistake, not captain Haaland. He said, no, no, no. Um, I didn't like him in the last game. He scored, but then he went off. And, you know, I'm feeling Rashford. And I said, this is a mistake. This is you trying to overthink it. It's just like Pep, you overthink everything. <laughs> You know, together with the Mitrovic thing. And, um, you know, so remember Man United was the first game off and it gets to the 80th yeah. minute. And I'm fuming. You know me, I, I don't take these things well. So I'm giving him a really hard time, you know. And, you know, obviously Rashford scores. <laughs> and, like, I got it. I got it. Because we had guests as well. So, like, he just unloaded in front of everybody. Rightly so. He was, rightly so. But then with the Mitrovic booking and then the Haaland blank, I have to say that, um, <laughs> yeah, but here's the funny thing I wanted to say about this, about not so much you guys. You guys are doing great. Brentford, did you see that they signed um, Romeo Beckham? I did see it. What do you think I about that, mate? This, yeah. What do you think about that? I, um, I, what was Romeo Becker? Wasn't he a chef or a photographer? I forget. No, that's his brother. Was that it? was the one that oh, was eviscerated by Marina Hyde. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. That's Brooklyn. I, 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 don't know, I don't know who's who. And look, hey, listen, Roger, I've seen Charlie Woods play golf. And so sons of famous sportsmen can be great at their chosen sport. Uh, I know nothing about Romeo Beckham. I think no matter if he's good or bad or indifferent, it's a very small piece of business by Brentford. Let's put it that way. Well, exactly. He, he is on loan from Inter Miami, who I may be wrong, but I think David Beckham's got something to do with Inter Miami. Yeah, he's, he's the only yeah, yeah, one that's yeah, 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 yeah. one of the majority. So, so like he's put his boy in there. His boy's horseshit. He can't play, Grant. He can't play. Uh, I made, oh really? Yeah, no, I made a couple of calls. He can't, he can't play. <laughs> he can't, so like, I thought I'm going to put up. <laughs> made a couple of calls. I was like, on goal, so I'm not going to go on goal on goal, not do the prep. So like, he's rubbish. He he's rubbish, <laughs> right? <laughs> so like, we, we had this. You know, like you're right. It's a great marketing ploy, but um, obviously when you're uh, prepping and you look at the Twitter feeds and everything like that. I saw this joke. It's it's a it's a dad joke, so bear with me. Um, David Beckham, second son, arrived at training at Brentford. He asked the coach, "What number shirt am I?" The coach said, "We're four out there, Romeo." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my that's that's my and of course finishing the West uh, the West London football thing. Chelsea are going from bad to worse. Welcome to... Well, I hope so, because we play them on yeah, Thursday. Yeah, oh no, they get whacked today, 4-0, against a, a second, uh, a reserve Man City team. All you can say is, you know, like, welcome to European football, Todd Bowley. <laughs> You're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, listen, Roger, as, as you're talking about America, let's... Um, let's talk about something a little bit more serious, and that was uh, DeMar Hamlin's... Yeah, um, yeah. Awful cardiac arrest in that in that Bills game, which I, I, I'm quite thankful. I, I still remember 40 years ago watching live when Joe Theismann broke his leg in that 
Washington horrible. Redskins game. And it, it, horrible. I, I've never been able to watch it since. No. Um, and I didn't see the the, the challenge um, in question um, that, that put Hamlin down. Normal tackle. I, Normal tackle. You know, yeah, no, uh, the, so I hear, right? But but just shocking to see that happen. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I was on a plane when it happened and I kind of landed and it was all kicking off and I didn't really understand what was going on until I've kind of got a handle on it all. But it seemed to me, and you may be able to correct me here, it seemed to me that the NFL wanted the game to go on and it was only the coaches who basically said, you've got to be kidding me, there's absolutely no way I'm leaving my players to play the rest of this game and actually took them back to the locker room. Now, is, is that the way it went down or not? I'm not I, sure. I wouldn't like to say that because it would be very wrong to... to to accuse somebody wrongly. I don't have enough information. All I do know that there was some commentators in the media saying, oh, what's going to happen now? You know, you can't abandon this game. We're right at the sharp end of the season. So they were just ignoring the fact the guy nearly died there and they were talking about what it meant for the scheduling. Uh, I don't know about the NFL itself. I, I really don't, Grant. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's what that's what I read at the time. It sounded like the NFL wanted to get the players back on the pitch, but um, the coaches... Um, well, as the Bengals coach actually went across the field and said, "Look, there's there's no way I'm taking my team off the off the field, and we're going back to the locker rooms." And of course, at that point, the NFL had no choice but to to kind of support it. But you know, if that is true, Rog, it's, it's hard to even comprehend the the depths of cynicism in that. You know, when when something like that happens, because it was very very clear. It's like watching you know Christian Eriksen go down in that in that game for yeah for Brentford. Yeah. You know, it's um. Uh, sorry, Spurs, not Brentford. Um, you know, when you see this thing on a on a on a sporting field, to see kind of real life like that and and real injuries to to young men who are as fit, strong, and healthy as it's possible to be, essentially, it, I don't know. For me, it 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 always hits me really, really well, hard. Well, can I ask you, uh, Grant? You know, slightly. Because I'm genuinely interested in this. I saw a couple of tweet threads that are, and I know there's a lot of you know, tin foil guys out there, but they, they were throwing stats out that, you know, young young athletes post the, the COVID stuff, the percentages have gone up, et cetera, et cetera. And my mind just goes back to Aaron Rodgers and Djokovic himself and everything like that. You, yeah. You, you, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to label you as one thing or the other or put words in your mouth, but I think you were, you know, relatively cautious about, you know, the vaccine thing, you know, a couple of years past it now. Do you? What is your view about you know what happened there, and are we all going to in the next five years start keeling over? Oh, Roger, I don't know. I mean, what I tell you, what I do know is that I hadn't heard the word myocarditis until a couple of years ago, and now I, I, I can't get away exactly. from the damn thing. Um, so look, I, I I don't know. I honestly don't know. And you know, it's it's a road that as soon as you start going down that road. You've got a whole bunch of people who walk next to you and there's a whole bunch of people that will cross the road to avoid you. And unfortunately, no one's swapping sides. Everyone has their mind made up about that and there's nothing anyone can do or say can change it. That's why I'm asking you. You're the everyman who's very reasonable. I'm not not a doctor. I don't know, right? Frankly, whatever my opinions are, they're worthless to anyone but me. Honestly, they really are worthless I to don't anyone think that's me right. because I have nothing. I don't think no, that's I, right. I do. I, it's not something. It's not something that I feel I can add any anything found in anything other than opinion gained from reading. And I, I don't know that for something like this in in a highly technical field, I don't know that even in reading one can actually understand the reality of it. So you know, I I do choose to keep my thoughts on this to myself. Fair I just enough. don't see the point Fair enough. in adding to the debate. But uh, however, I, but the, the the you know the the kind of let's not call it a happy ending because the story is not over yet. But did you see today covering uh, the Bills playing the Patriots and um, the Bills running back returns the opening kick of ninety six yards that. for a touchdown? You saw I saw that? that. Yeah. I mean, just so you see the pace. It, you know, like this. they found another gear, didn't they? Just unbelievable. Ah. But this is sport, right? This is sport. This is you wrote a beautiful piece recently about unscripted drama, and uh, you know the importance of unscripted drama in sport. There's something about sport that manages to do that, that manages to 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 take a story like this, so filled with near tragedy, uh, and cap it with you know one of the guy's teammates wearing a patch with uh, with with um, with uh, Demar Hamlin's number on his jersey, returning a touchdown 
We're returning the kick of 96 yards for a touchdown. It's just... It's just a thing of beauty. It really is. Well, uh, it is. It is. But you know, staying on uh, American football for a minute, for a minute, and like going into the ridiculous as I like. Uh, did you see? Did you see the Utah Rose Bowl, Grant? No, I did not. Right. So again, it's just things come through your. I wasn't looking at it. Your timeline. I saw this t- this tweet, uh, and the heading was, "I'm sorry, but I'm watching the Rose Bowl now. Can we agree this isn't a good look?" And underneath is a video. Of the cheerleaders, right? And it, and it's like, you know, the camera pans across all of them. And like four in, there's this kind of like fat guy. Fat, I mean, like a really quite chunky guy doing the moves with the girls. And like, I, I, I maybe maybe I'm old fashioned. I didn't realize that guy cheese leaders was a thing, you know, but, you know, he, he was right up for it. Right, off for a grant. And anyway, the lads didn't seem to be happy with that from what I saw on the comments to that tweet. You surprised me. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, come on. You're going to the game, right? You know, like, it's it's testosterone city. American football's testosterone city. Look, you know, so when it's a slow game, there's not a lot happening between the plays, you know... Give the audience what they want. They're not looking to see a fat guy with his belly hanging out. You know, making all pulling all the faces, all the sexy faces. Come on. I mean, let's let's give the audience what they want. Yeah. No, I I I, I would like to pretend that I'm gonna look look that up, Rog, but you've already told me enough to discourage me from doing that. So I'm gonna take your word for it and not bother. Well, I've got a question. I've got a question for you. I know we're running short of time here. If you get that invite, right, to the Masters, you get that. Oh, yeah, I was going to talk about this one. Yes, yes, go ahead. This is just brilliant. I'm going, man. I'm telling you, I'm turning up. I'm go- I'm not sending it to the golfer. I'm going to Augusta and I'm, we're going to saunter onto that Masters first tee fucking Glasgow Gallus and just like duck hook it into the Patriots. Yeah, I've I got a funny feeling that wouldn't work out for it, but I'd like to see you try it. I think that'd be a lot of well, what fun. What are they going to do? For, for anybody, not, for anybody not, not understanding what Roger's talking about, there's a, there's a golfer uh, called Scott Stallings um, who, who won on the PGA Tour last year and secured himself an invitation to the Masters. And he, he'd been waiting and checking his mailbox every day because he, he knew that the invitations were going out for contestants in the Masters and he didn't get the invitation. And uh, he gets a DM in his Twitter feed from from some random stranger who, I've got it here actually, Rod. Hi, Scott. My name is Scott Stallings as well, and I'm from Georgia. My wife's name is Jennifer too. We have a condo at such and such, and I received a FedEx today from the Masters inviting me to play in the Masters tournament <laughs> April 6th to 9th, 2023. I'm 100% sure this is not for me. I play, but wow, nowhere near your level. <laughs> it's a very nice package, complete with everything needed to attend. I think we have some confusion because of our names, our wife's names, and geographical location. I can be reached at blah, 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 and I'm more than happy to send this package to you. And with it is a, is a picture of all the things that come in, including the, you know, the very nice embossed letter to the guy um, inviting him to play in the Masters Tour. I mean, just what a fantastic story. And there's been a lot of talk on... Twitter people saying that they, you know, Scott Stalling should invite this guy to caddy for yeah. him in the par three tournament yeah. oh, or, for sure. you know, but at it's, least. it's just, just a fantastic, story. yeah, I, I agree. At least he's got to get him a ticket. I'm telling for the you, he's lucky no the guy didn't try it on, you know, like in today's world, you know, like you could, you could go a long way with that. You know, you could become like happy Gilmore, you know, like you make it a thing, you know, all of a sudden you're the story of the day one, day two. You think? Christ. I mean, that's, that's a new, that's a new story. Hackers is is teed up with Tiger or whatever, you know, and like shoots 140. Well, well, you you know the story of Morris Flickcroft, right? No, you don't know the story. I don't know. No, I don't. Morris Flickcroft famously managed to get into the 1976. Don't shoot me from a year or two out. Uh, Open Championship. Um, he was a he was a total chancer. Basically, in fact, they made a they made a film about it recently. I think. I forget what it's called now, but he basically he got into the Open Championship itself and scored uh, 121 in, in the qualifying competition, the worst score ever recorded at the Open Championship. Um, and he, he he tried to enter every professional golf tournament he could under all these different um, 
pseudonyms he had. The, the only one I remember, I can't remember, there were two I remember. There was one, uh, Gene Paychecky, and the other one, I think it was uh, like Arnold Palmfrond or Arnold Palm Tree or something. <laughs> so you remember this guy? Um, uh, you, oh no no absolutely, you, you, absolutely I've never heard of this golfer that's going to the master Scott whatever I mean like <laughs> no 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 so so he 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 basically pretended to be a professional golfer and got a place in the qualifying round of the Open Championship and uh, it, it was it was quite a thing there's a, there's a golf course in a golf club in America somewhere I forget now the Midwest somewhere who still to this day I think have a a, a competition each year called the Morris Flitcroft trophy um which i think is is like limited to people who can't break a hundred or something i'm not quite sure but no, you should look this up it's a fantastic story and and absolutely true absolutely true he, he like read books on how to play um but he shot uh he shot 49 over par in, his in the open in the 76 uh open championship what a story what a story but anyway yeah i, I would certainly be turning up that's for sure. Well, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see the same, Roger. If there was a, if there was a, a famous UFC champion called Roger Mitchell, and you accidentally got his <laughs> no, invitation that would be or something. That, that yeah. would be happening. Yeah, funny old yeah. one. Yeah. So, funny so listen. Let's let's end with a little poll. Um, sports fanny of the week. Um, who are you, who are we going to go for? Uh, Gianni Infantino with a selfie, or R- oh, R- Ronaldo um, proudly smiling in the Saudi Arabia Strip. Which of the two takes top spot? Uh, honestly, I, the two of them deserve each other, Roger. That's all I can say. I mean, it's just—I don't know what to say. I, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with uh, Infantino just because Ronaldo did nothing that we wouldn't expect him to do. I.e., he's getting paid 175 million quid, or is it dollars? I forget. 175 million dollars to go and play in the Saudi. I guarantee you, he will find a way out of that contract after year one. He'll sulk and sit on the bench. He'll, uh, there's no way he's staying there for three years. Absolutely no way. You can bookmark that right now. But for me, I've got to give Fanny of the Week to Infantino. Not because he's just a Fanny, but the, the selfie in front of Pele's coffin, I mean... Open coffin, grief. open it, casket. It, it's just... I, I just... There are no words to describe anyone that would do that, Rog. I just... I mean, you, you've met the man. You know him. I mean... It, yeah. It, it, yeah, tell me how how do you do that? That's what I've said before. Um, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You you lose it, and you know my my view as I get older is that the only thing that saves you if you're doing relatively okay in life is if you've got a load of mates around you that are going to call you out when you're losing it, you know. And um, the opposite of that is that you surround yourself with sycophants and yes men, yes women. And, you know, you end up doing this kind of shit because frankly, as you get older, your ego does get out of control a little bit and you desperately need people around you, both in business and in your personal life and say, look, mate, take a look at yourself. And he just doesn't have that. That's not the way FIFA works. Oh, what a shame. What a shame. Well, uh, once a fanny, always a fanny, I suppose, Roger. I've got one one last one. I've got one last one. And just this this is because it's a new year and I'm a nice guy and I'm I'm giving you an own goal here. Um, Crawley Town. (laughs) 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 Here I'm reading here. The the Club Supporters Association. Who could have seen this happen? Club Supporters Association. Um, If I was being nasty, I would say, and how many are in that? But let's leave that for a second. The Club Supporters Association has requested a meeting with the owners, WAGME, but Johnson, who's the head of WAGME, replied in a statement that they cannot do so immediately while the club go through the process of, quotes, getting to the bottom of sensitive legal issues. A conventional approach to ownership hasn't worked. It was announced when Mike Wagme bought the club. The unconventional approach is clearly not working either. <laughs> what a shit show. Oh, God. Yeah, well, look, I mean, what, what do you expect? I mean, seriously, what did anybody expect? It was a good idea. It was a good idea. It was a good idea. It's hard. You think? Yeah, it's hard to manage a football club. We just mentioned Todd Bowley, who's the other end of the spectrum. Johnny Traditional, loads of money. You know, let's let's just you know do it professional American marketing. We're better. Look at the start he's had. These people, you know, DAOs or whatever they're called, nobody can remember anymore. You know, uh, crypto, everything like that. But the fact is, Grant, you know what? 
running a football club, managing a dressing room, winning results is bloody hard, whether you're a crypto bro or whether you're a, a king of Wall Street. And that's the bottom line, mate. It's not about crypto. Listen, are you sure you didn't bring this up just to say that as abject as Crawley Town are and as big a shit show as it is, <laughs> they still beat Fulham 2-0 in the Carabao Cup? Is that, is that what you brought up? Is that, is that up? what happened? I didn't know that. Yeah, they knocked us out of the Carabao Cup back in August, 2-0. I, I didn't know that. I'm so, I wish I had known that. That would have been better. <laughs> well, listen, there's another yeah. thing for, and I said this with, uh, with my dear friend Andy Southerton, who was one of the one of the, the first guests on, on the show, and I said the Carabao Cup was a, was a joke. Uh, and I stand by that. The best thing that can happen to a club in the Premiership is they get out of the Carabao Club as soon as possible. And look at you guys. What are you, sixth, seventh, uh, going for Europe? Seventh. Who, who gives a flying F that you get knocked out of the Carabao Cup? Are you crying about that, Grant? No, no, not at all. There you go. I'll <laughs> give two... Whatever, there you go, but, um, there you go. No, I'm much more interested in uh, in the Chelsea game on Thursday night, Roach. That's the only thing that matters now. Yeah, I think you'll take them. I think I think they're looking super shaky. Very, very unhappy squad. You know, Havertz, I don't know what's happened to him. You know, very, very unhappy squad. I think you'll take them easy, mate. Fingers crossed. I hope I hope for once you're right. <laughs> Help Fulham. All right, All right Maggie. Well, listen, this has been fun as always. Um, again, uh, thanks to you for listening. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Uh, I think we're still allowed to say that, Roger, aren't we? On the January the 8th, 9th, 10th, yeah, whatever yeah, day it is yeah. now. Um, if you don't follow us already, you'll find that very easy to do if you look up on Twitter and look for at Entertained R. That's the word A-R-E. You can follow me if you're not doing so already. You'll find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you can follow myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. All right, my friend, until next time. Take care. Take care, Grant. Bye-bye. See you later.